0: Thank you, Doug. That was very kind. As Doug said, my name's Jason. I am a church planning resident here, and so just to kind of jump right in, we're going to be continuing our series in the book of John. And John chapter thirteen is a pretty fascinating text. Um, what's happening here is this is kind of the beginning of the last night for Jesus. Right. So in just a few hours, in the book of John, things are going to start moving pretty fast. Uh, he's going to wash the disciples' feet. After that, he's going to have a dinner with these men, the Last Supper. Then he's going to take these same guys and go pray because Jesus is going to be a little stressed out. He's got some stuff coming his way, so he goes out to pray. He gets betrayed. Uh, He gets arrested. He gets falsely accused and tried. He gets beaten, tortured, and killed. That's like the next 24 hours for Jesus, right? So a lot's coming at him. And so what I find fascinating about this text is uh, what Jesus decides to do with these few remaining hours is he decides to wash these guys' feet that are going to abandon him, but he chooses anyway to wash these guys' feet and have a meal with them. That says a lot about a man, right? It says a lot about a man. If you knew that it was your last day, right, so if you knew that you had, let's say, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, maybe even a few months, uh, what do you think you would do with that time? We often call that a bucket list, right? Because you're going to kick the bucket. So what are you going to do with your bucket list? Um, Would you take that trip maybe that you've always dreamed of taking? I kind of did some internet searching of what the top, like, bucket list thing was. And it was always these outlandish trips where somebody's going to take a trip and then leave their family bankrupt and in debt because they're going to do some big, like, climb the Himalayas or something. Or would you maybe uh, reconcile with an old friend, family member, right? It's, it's a, been a bit awkward for you. There's been a falling out, and it's kind of nagged at you, and you're like, okay, I don't have much time left, so I'm going to make this right. Um, would it be, as Tim McGraw says, would you go skydiving? You guys know, you know what I'm going to say next, right? Rocky Mountain climbing? 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu, right? Right? Um, love sweeter speak what is that uh love deeper speak sweeter and grant forgiveness to those i've been denying as he says right and i think for me what i would do if i knew i was going to be dying soon i think one of the first things i would do is give up on all sort of physical things that i do to stay healthy i would eat like unlike chuck i would have lots of donuts before service uh, I would stay up late. I would not get up early. I would probably stop wearing my seatbelt in my car. I might even uh, take my minivan and try to do some burnouts in our parking lot. And if Doug and Eric got upset, they could get over it, because I don't have long anyway. Right? I'm doing what I want to do. It's part of my bucket list. If your bucket list is do burnouts in a minivan, you're a sad man. <laughs> all right. Just say that. But on a more serious note, what did come up a lot when it comes to bucket lists? is people said I would spend more time with family. I think we get that. Uh, I think for me, I would be way more patient with my wife and kids. Although to be patient with my wife is like just once a year because she never upsets me or makes me impatient at all. But kids, on the other hand, are a little different, right? When that kid spills that glass of milk for like the 15th time, I'm not going to get upset about that. What's a little spilled milk when I don't have much time to live anyway? Right? That's not going to phase me much. Uh, and I probably what I would do is we have these uh, two chairs that look this, overlook this window in our kind of dining area. And I'd probably sit on one of those big chairs and maybe hold one of my daughters, hold my son. and I would just hold them a little bit longer, right? Um, and if you're a parent, you know, I would look at them a little more intently. I would see those little hands. I would look in their eyes. You know, and just study that, savor that moment. I'd probably hold my wife's hand more. There would be these little things that you would start to do because you realize that you don't have long. And so the important stuff is going to start taking way more focus. Uh, Probably in that time, I'm not worried about my fantasy football lineup. I'm just not going to care about that. If you do fantasy football, that's fine. But I'm saying, in those moments, you're just not going to care much about that. And I also would hope that if I knew I had just A few days weeks months left that I would grow in my gratitude I would hope that that would be the case that the people who have you know poured into me and my family over the years the people that have encouraged me uh, the people that I know have prayed for me supported me like I would want to call them and make sure they knew that I was grateful for what they've done right wouldn't you want to do that And, and I also wonder if regrets would creep in right you know you don't have much time, so you would really probably begin to be much more um, introspective and think on your life. And um, back in 2015, I went back to my parents' house because my dad uh, wasn't doing well. And so he was in the final stages of Parkinson's disease, which if you've ever seen anybody suffer from that, it's horrible. And so he was kind of nearing the end of that, and uh, he did pass away a few uh, days after I went back. And out of the blue, it was him and I were just kind of sitting there, and he just... Out of the blue, he says, Jay, I'm dying, and I don't have long. And there was a tone when he said that that was very confessional. Does that make sense? It wasn't, hey, let me give you some information, but almost let me confess something to you. Like he was apologizing because he was dying, and he didn't have much time left. And I remember him, I've only seen my dad really kind of choked up or heartbroken, maybe twice in my life and he's he's fighting back tears and he says I thought we'd have more time right so there's this this deep regret that began to kind of settle in on my dad because he he knew his life was ending soon and he began to take stock so why is that when when people begin to near the end of their life the important stuff really starts to take focus the unimportant stuff just begins to fade out in the background Like, no one probably has ever been on their deathbed and said, man, I wish I would have put more hours in at the office, right? It just doesn't happen. Um, The meaningful people and events begin to just be blaringly, clearly obvious. And the stuff that's not important, you just forget about it. And here's what we see with Jesus. This is his situation, right? 24 hours, he's gonna go through all that stuff, right? He's gonna go through all of it. And so today what we're gonna see is we're gonna see who Jesus is, kind of in this big picture of who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and how we respond to that. So who Jesus is, uh, what Jesus does, and then how we respond to that. So first we see who Jesus is. We know Jesus is going to be betrayed, slandered, tortured, killed soon, and John says this at the beginning. He says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Do so you catch how John talks about this relationship between Jesus and the Father? Now, there's this sense of who Jesus is, Jesus trusts the Father deeply, that the Father, everything Jesus has been doing is because of his relationship to the Father, and that he knows that he came from the Father, and he's going back to the Father, right, and that the Father is good and has blessed Jesus, and that Jesus knows he lacks nothing because of who his Father is, and I get this picture of Jesus in the upper room getting ready to wash these guys' feet with this Deep sense of purpose and security because he knows who he is and he knows who his father is, right? And when you know who you are and who your father is, heavenly father, you can do tremendous things. Jesus is not panicking. He's not hand-wringing. He's deeply secure in who he is. Who is Jesus, right? Jesus is confident in the father's provision, and that gives him identity and purpose. And I would dare say that Jesus' identity in this moment is primarily As a son, the son, right? Jesus is a servant and he's going to serve. Jesus is a missionary and he's going to be on mission. But when he gets ready to wash these men's feet, the identity that anchors him in that, that allows him to be able to do that, is because of his relationship to the father as a son. As a son. And he is going to, out of that place, he is going to love these men to the end. There's poetry in that. That Jesus is going to love them to the end. So before we ever get to Jesus stooping down and washing disciples' feet, before we ever get there, John presents us with a son who deeply trusts his father. When we see him getting ready to wash these men's feet, we see God himself in the face of Jesus. And we see the son taking on the role of a servant. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the son who serves us so that we can be served and serve others. That's who Jesus is. And then from there, we're going to see what Jesus does. So previous to this, and this is what Eric talked about last week, is that Jesus in his triumphal entry is being heralded as like the next big thing. Uh, People are excited to see Jesus. They're crying out his name. Crowds show up. They're laying their coats down so not even the donkey he's riding in gets dirty. That's pretty elite status, right? Not even the donkey. We don't even want Jesus' donkey to get dirty. Jesus is being treated like a rock star, right? And he follows that up with gathering his closest friends, the 12 disciples, uh, and he takes off his outer garment. He puts on like a a dishwasher apron, and he gets some water in a bowl, and he washes their feet. This is something a celebrity does not do, right? Celebrities don't do this. The the person that the crowds cheer for, that person does not wash feet. This would have been done by the lowest servant in somebody's household. Uh, This is entry-level position stuff. Not guest of honor, not the most important guy in the room. This is the nobody's job. And yet Jesus follows up all of this, all the crowds chanting his name, to washing the disciples' feet. This is a job done by someone that has very little or no dignity value, or worth. And that's what Jesus does. You know, who would never, never wash people's feet would be a great teacher, right? Uh, A mighty king, a glorious God would never wash people's feet, and yet Jesus is all of those things, and he washes feet. That says a lot about Jesus and what he does. And I'm not sure we have anything that would be equivalent to this in our culture, because uh, let's be honest and thankful that footwear has come a long way in 2,000 years. Amen? All <laughs> right? So we really don't have something that would equal this in our culture. But there are just certain jobs and certain duties we just don't want to do. Certain certain things that people do, just, uh, you don't hope your kid grows up to do that. Uh, so best example I can give of this is when my kids were all in diapers or not all of them, but I had I had kids in diapers, and we were hanging out with some family members. And uh, my Uncle Shorty, uh, I have family that's kind of more Kentucky. They all have funny nicknames. So Uncle Shorty um, is holding, uh, I think, one of our twins. And it became obvious that that baby needed a diaper change. You guys been there? And it's probably one of those diaper changes where, you know, when a baby needs a diaper change, and then you have what you call the blowout Where you're not going to just change the diaper, but you might be changing shirts, pants, socks, right? Everything on that baby needs changed. So my uncle's holding that baby, and I say, hey, shorty, what a great opportunity for you to change that baby's diaper, right? Here's the diapers. Here's the wipes. You've had kids. Get her done. And he replied to me and said, Jason, I don't even change my own grandkids' diapers, Right, so he didn't say no. He, he said a lot in that statement. A few things if I break down that statement. Jason, I don't even change my own grandkids' diapers. He's kind of making a comparison to this kid I'm holding belongs to you. I've got grandkids I love more than this baby, and I didn't change their diapers. right? And I think he's also implying, Jason, at one time, when I was a young man, a young husband, a young dad, I paid my dues. I changed some dirty diapers. I'm an older man now. I've graduated from that. I'm not changing a dirty diaper. Anybody relate to that at all? You guys are so quiet, right? I don't change diapers is what he's saying. So let's be honest, unless you're a parent, and maybe even if you're a nurse, changing someone's diaper can feel a little demeaning and undignified. Whether they're two weeks or 20 years old or 80 years old, Changing someone's diaper, older people wear diapers, it happens. Um, Changing someone's diaper has a little bit of a, you're not really aspiring to do that job. Um, And disciples are shocked at this, right? Because Jesus washing someone's feet, it's almost as if Jesus is changing the diaper of a baby that ain't even his kid. And I don't think I've ever changed the diaper of a baby that didn't belong to me. Moment of confession. Um, we just don't do that. And it's almost like there is like a city light kids worker available to change that diaper. And Jesus kind of comes in and says, I got this. Let me ch- Can you hand me that diaper? Hand me that wipe? I'll change this baby for you. We'd be a little bit shocked. Maybe I would be the only one shocked. But, <laughs> all right. And so when you would ask the disciples when they see this, what does Jesus do? Think about what Jesus does in light of who he is. I'm sure they would say something like this. Let me tell you what I've seen Jesus do. I've seen Jesus stand up to the religious establishment, not blink an eye, look them straight in the face and say no. I've seen him stand up to people. I've seen Jesus. We were on a boat one time. What's Jesus do? He stands up and he says to a storm, hey, settle down. And the storm just submits to him. I've seen Jesus. What does Jesus do? Jesus throws open a grave and says, come out, and dead, come out. That's what I see Jesus do. Right? You compare that to Jesus also is a man, or Jesus is also the God-man who washes dirty feet. That's a beautiful picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. He does not consider these men not worth his time or beneath him or eye-rolling. That's not Jesus. Jesus models love and service to these men by kneeling in front of them, putting an apron on, right? Washing away the dirt and the dung and the filth and the grime from their feet, right? So my question to you is what type of, what type of man, what type of God, what type of king does that? Our God, our king, our Jesus does that. That's who Jesus is. When the disciples, when he's washing their feet, he's clearly serving them. I mean, he's taking on a a servant role and serving them. But the ultimate expression of what Jesus does and how Jesus serves and how Jesus loves is when he gives his life for us. And this is kind of pointing that. In Mark chapter 10, we read this. And this is Jesus talking. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many Jesus serves us and loves us to the end by giving his life to bring us back to this father that that he's in communion with, to bring us back into communion with the father too. And as beautiful and powerful as the picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is, it's really just a foretaste, a trailer of the cross that's coming. When he is completely in an undignified position, right, to save his people. That is the ultimate expression of love and service. Right? This is just a foretaste. So who is Jesus and what does Jesus do? Jesus is the son of God who serves us. Right? That's huge. That's huge. And so how do we respond to that? right? So we see that and say, what are we supposed to do in light of that? Well, Jesus answers that for us in verses 12 through 15. He says this, He says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. So, what Jesus is saying here is, Look, you guys have been following me around for like three and a half years, right? We're coming near the end. And so, If you've seen me, and you're trying to learn from me, and you're going to follow me, the way to lead well is to wash feet, all right? So are you guys going to be excited for us to do a a good old-fashioned foot washing here in a little bit? We're not doing that, I promise. (laughs) But serving each other, right? It should be embedded in us as followers of Jesus that we serve one another, right? That's what Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, if if you're going to... Uh, if you're going to model my life and my leadership, it's going to be one that serves. And serving must come from this overflow of what Jesus has done for us. It must come from that place, right? Jesus serves us so that we can serve and be served by one another and by each other. And like I said, it must come, it must be rooted in what Jesus has done, right? It has to be rooted. It can't be rooted in guilt and manipulation um, or just trying to be a better person It's got to come out of what Jesus has already done And how Jesus has served us Because if it if it doesn't come out of that place It can easily become a place of pride So we'll either become too prideful And we won't serve people Because their needs aren't as important as our needs right? Their wants, desires uh, We'll put conditions on that or, or actually we'll serve people to get something in return So it's really more of an exchange Or the other side would be, we'll serve people, but we're not going to be served by anybody. We're not going to do that. Like, I'll help you out all day, but you're not going to help me out at all. So uh, let me give you some examples of how this works. Uh, when I lived in McKeesport, Sarah and I were part of a church that I, I pastored there, and they had a food bank, and we partnered with the Greater Pittsburgh Food Bank. It was, just, it was not a religious organization, it was just a nonprofit. And we'd get food from them, and people would show up at the church, and they would submit sort of proof of income, where they live, and then how the church was set up is they would drive around the block, because uh, we wanted to serve these people, and they would, they would pull up, they would hand us a card that told us how many, you know, how many uh, households they had, and then we would load it up in their vehicle, so they didn't even have to get out of the car, because we really wanted to be a presence in our community and serve those people. And so I liked that. I felt good about that. And so there, were, there tended to be two different responses, uh, if we got a response at all. And one was, they would pull up, and we'd say, hey, how many do you have? And they would say, oh, I have, you know, one order. And then I would say, uh, well, where do you want it? Do you want it in the back seat, in the trunk, in the, in the front? And they would say, oh, just wherever you want to put it. And so I'd, I'd put it there, and they would say, thank you so much. God bless you. You are going to help me get through the rest of this month. You are such a blessing. Thank you, pastor. Thank you. Thank um, you. I didn't know if I believed in God before, but now that I saw how great you are to me, I think I do. That was a little bit of an exaggeration there, right? But there was this, definitely this sense from them that they were just overwhelmed with gratitude, and I liked that. I really enjoyed that. It affirmed that I was doing the right thing. But then there was the other response where people would show up, they would drive up, and they would say, Hey, just put it in the back. There was a tone. Let me just say a tone. I'm sensitive to tones. Right, There was a tone, so I'd open the back door to put it in and say, no, no, in the the trunk, in the trunk, put it in the trunk. So I'm getting a little irritated, and so I'd put it in the trunk. Then they would say, hey, um, last month we had pies. Where's the pie? I said, well, we don't have pies this month. Why don't you have pies? I said, we just don't have them. You need to get me a pie. And uh, I'm getting a little frustrated with these people. And I would say, well, you're not getting a pie. And kind of to quote what I would say to my kids, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit, right? That's what we say to our kids. And I'm thinking, so track with me a bit here. I'm going, in my head, I didn't say this out loud, but in my head I'm going, are you really complaining to me about free food? Okay? You guys are quiet all of a sudden, right? You're like, oh, man, should I say that or not? But I would get a little short with them. They'd get a little short with me. They'd make a remark, and then I would close their door a little short. Harder than I did the other doors. (laughs) And I would kind of send them on their way. And there's nothing worse. Let me just rant a little bit. There's nothing worse than helping somebody out when you don't have to. Helping these people out. I'm serving them. I get no respect, no thanks, no gratitude. And what made it even worse is when they acted entitled to my help. Right? I don't have to help you. I don't have to do that, right? I wanted them to be grateful. I wanted them to thank me. I did not want to feel taken advantage of. And I definitely did not want to feel treated like I work for you. Because I don't work for you. right? How dare they act not act like I was like the greatest blessing that ever came to that town. Like the last lady did. And so, this guy Scott Souls, used to be a pastor of mine. He has this great quote to help me in moments like this. And here's the quote. I think it's going to be on the screen. It says, the best way to measure your desire to serve is to look at how you respond when someone treats you like a servant. <laughs> Snap, right? <laughs> that hurts a little bit. I'm like, oh, man, I'm really serving these people because I like to feel good about me, right? So when I was doing that, you know, I didn't expect them to tip me or pay me or even come to the church on Sunday. That's not why I was doing that, but maybe why I was doing that was because it just felt good to do that. Jason felt better when I served, right? Right? So how do you think Jesus feels when he's kneeling, he's got this apron around him, and he's washing feet, and he looks up, and he locks eyes with Judas, right? And he knows what Judas is going to do. Judas is not grateful. Judas is not thankful. Judas is probably in a hurry. He's checking his watch. And he's got a meeting with some guys soon that are going to arrest and kill Jesus. And Jesus continues to wash his feet. That just blows my mind that Jesus would do that, right? Our serving, especially our serving each other, is not dependent on whether people are grateful or deserving, right? How we serve people has to be rooted in what Jesus has already done for us. We've already received so we can serve freely. That's what Jesus is showing us here. We can serve because Jesus served us. And we can even serve the undeserving And the ungrateful, because when Jesus served us, we were undeserving, and we were ungrateful, and he served us anyway. Okay? You tracking with me on that? So let me tell you about some people in our church who are ungrateful every week. Babies. (laughs) All right? Babies. And uh, we have a lot of great men and women who serve in City Light Kids, but I want to brag on the guys a little bit. Do uh, you know that we have men in our church, grown men that teach kids the gospel and change your baby 's dirty diapers? Did you know that? Grown men right and i 'm sorry, but there is there 's never ever been a chance or an opportunity that I know of where a grown man in our church changed the baby in city like kids, and the baby said, "Thank you so much." I feel so much I was very uncomfortable. Uh, A lot of stuff going on. I feel so much better now. Thank you. That never, ever happens, nor will it ever happen, right? But these men serve all the time, teach these kids, they change dirty diapers of babies that aren't even their baby, right? And I've never done that in my life. That's why it's really impressive to me. But there is something beautiful, right, about grown men changing diapers because Jesus has saved them and served them and loved them, amen, I'm not going to say their names because I don't want to embarrass them, right? But we have men that do that, right? And mom and dads feel loved by that too, right? Don't you feel loved when somebody just loves on your kids? So I want to thank you men that do that. Um, And on the other hand, so we talk about all these great uh, examples of serving, but on the other hand, on the other hand, Jesus doesn't just serve us so that we can serve. Jesus also serves us so that we can be served. That we can be, because there's sometimes where we act like Peter and we say, oh, "Lord, you're not going to wash my feet." Nope. So let me share another confession. Uh, I'm a, if By the end of this sermon, you're going to think Jason is the worst person I know. <laughs> right? Uh, of me being in this kind of being, it's difficult to receive sometimes. When Sarah and I had the twins, and if you ask Sarah, that first 16 months, she'll start twitching a bit because it was just a difficult season in our life. So we had twins. <laughs> We were away from family, all the way up in Pittsburgh. We had a three-year-old and a two-year-old, right? I know it. So that whole season was tough, very tough. Um, I never knew that sleep deprivation was a good uh, method of torture until those six months because I was losing my mind. So we had, and Sarah was fantastic. So uh, we had these two older ladies from the church kind of show up, and they say, Pastor, we want to serve you. Um, If you have some errands to run or you have some work at the church, why don't you just go on and do that? And I was gone in like a minute, out. <laughs> I think I didn't even work. I think I just went to the office and slept. I was just tired. And they said, and we also, you know, Sarah, if you want to take a shower, if you want to nap, we got this. So I don't know what Sarah did, because I was gone. But uh, these ladies cleaned our house, watched the babies, and I came back, and I was so grateful, as I was looking around at how clean everything looked. And then I started connecting stuff, and I was like, Oh, I had, like, laundry hadn't been done in a long, long, long time, and all my dirty clothes had been washed and dried and folded, and I had this very awkward, can I just be honest with you guys? It was just an awkward moment where I thought, huh, when I'm preaching on Sunday, everything I'm wearing, these ladies have washed and handled and folded, and it was just weird. It was very weird for me, and I was very uncomfortable. I felt exposed, and I didn't like that. So they actually came again to help out around the house, and I hid my dirty clothes. I hid them. I didn't want them to, there's certain things you just don't need to know about me, right? Um, So how many of us feel this way when it comes to serving, right? We don't want to, we don't mind serving, but we don't want to be served. Uh, We don't want to feel exposed. We don't want to feel like we need other people. We don't want to feel in debt to somebody. We don't want to feel like, I don't want to feel like I'm in your pocket. You understand what I'm saying? Um, There's this exchange. I don't have any problems. I like being able to help people out, but I don't ever want to feel like I'm in need. Right? And I think that's very Midwestern. That's kind of part of us, right? It's like Midwesterners have a reputation for being hard workers, right? And so we don't want to feel in debt to people. So... In your city group, right, when there's a, a need, somebody needs a meal, you're the first person to make a meal and give it to them. But when you guys, maybe some stuff's going on in your family, maybe there's a, somebody who goes to the hospital, you're not going to let anybody know because you don't want people to drop a meal off. You don't want to do that. You're the first person to give maybe some financial help to somebody, but maybe when you're having financial difficulty, you won't receive anything, right? That's how some of us are. This can be so dangerous for us. This can be so dangerous because Here's why this can backfire on us. When Peter says, you won't wash me, Jesus, Jesus says, then, then you have no part of me, right? There's this sense that as Christians, right, we're served by Jesus. Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share in me. So just like Peter, I had to recognize this, and we have to recognize this, that we've got filth on us that only Jesus can take away. I mean, that's that's basic gospel right there that we are broken, dirty, sinful, and we cannot clean ourselves up. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus serves us so that we can be served by others. There's a blessing and a freedom in that, right? You don't have to prove anything. Just receive when people want to serve you. And when we see how Jesus has served us, we can let go of our comfort and our pride and serve others, and we can let go of our comfort and pride and let people serve us right so see like my hope is that oh we would see Jesus in the last few hours of his life when things are really coming into focus for him when things are when he's really weighing out what's the important stuff in life and what he chooses to do in those few hours is to serve these men by washing their feet changing dirty diapers right that's what Jesus chooses to do in this moment and so We're going to receive communion now, and um, I'm going to ask you guys just to go ahead and stand with me, if you would, and bow your heads in prayer. And communion service, you can begin to get ready. So what I'd like you to do is, is, as you uh, have your uh, heads bowed, your eyes closed, is I, I just want you to picture Jesus right here in front of you, like Jesus is right in front of you. I want you to picture how has Jesus served you? How has Jesus served you? Not, not just, which I don't mean this to be a just, I don't want to minimize this, not just what he did on the cross, how else has Jesus served you? How has he blessed you? How has he taken care of you? He he's served you. And then as you picture that, as you see how Jesus has served you, I want you to think about how you're going to respond to that. Right? Not out of guilt or shame or compulsion, but out of a love and an appreciation for what he's done for you already. Because as we get ready to receive communion, uh, the communion servers, they're going to serve you communion. They're going to tear off a piece of that bread, and they're going to hand that to you, and then you're going to dip that into the juice. I want you to realize that this is a picture of of Jesus presenting his body to you. He loved you to the end. He didn't fall short. When times got tough, he didn't stop. He didn't quit. He loved you to the end. He loved you to the end. Jesus, I pray that we would be a church that knows how you served us in deep and profound ways. May we we live and breathe in that gratitude of, wow, Jesus, you've served me. And from that place, may we serve each other. May we get to return the favor in a small, small way by loving and serving fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. May we be a people who love and serve well. I ask you this in Jesus' name, amen.